Hi, this is David Flower, senior pastor at Grantham Church, an intergenerational convergent third-way congregation with the Brethren in Christ U.S. and located in Mechanicsburg, Pennsylvania. I want to thank you for listening to our podcast and for following the sermons that I and many others preach at Grantham. This is a free podcast and it'll always be that way, but if you'd like to give and help further the work we're doing for the kingdom, we'd greatly appreciate it. If you want to do that, you can do that by going to granthamchurch.org and clicking on the giving tab. Whether you're a member of our church or you're listening as a parishioner, it's our greatest desire that you would encounter Jesus and be changed by the good news wherever you are. Anyway, God bless you, and I hope you enjoy the podcast. Welcome to Grantham Church. My name is Melissa Lother. I'm the discipleship pastor here, and we have a special service of celebration this morning. Um, We're gathered, whether you're in person or online, we want to honor and glorify God today. We are a people who seek to follow the God who looks like Jesus. And this is a God who comes down in the flesh, meets us in our brokenness and need, and he offers us freedom and life and joy and hope for those who follow him. So that's who we're here to worship today. If you were with us last week, we had a unique service. We created some space for lament and to recognize that brokenness that we experience around us in our world and in our own hearts and lives. We offered our laments to God and we entrusted them to him uh, in his hands. We sometimes say that we're Easter people living in a Good Friday world. We recognize that not everything is the way that it should be, yet we have hope that Jesus is making all things new and will one day restore all things to the way that they are supposed to be. So today, we want to take some time to celebrate those ways that we're experiencing God's work in our church and in our community, in our world. Uh, and we want to praise God for his goodness and grace. Recognize those places where God's kingdom is coming through Christ in us, and where his name is being made known more and more. Uh, you might remember a, a few weeks back, Pastor David shared with our congregation our mission and vision as a church. And our mission is to disciple people in Christ, the scriptures and the spirit's power to radically love our neighbors and our world. In short, we want to lead others to the God who looks like Jesus. And we shared with you five words that kind of help frame and outline our vision as a church. Our call as a church is to disciple, to serve, to welcome, to unify, and to witness. So what we mean by that, just very briefly to remind us of what we mean, when we say disciple, that means we want to be people who are growing up in Christ and experiencing more of God's love and grace in our lives. When we say serve, we want to be people who are using our gifts and skills to serve those around us, both in our church and in our community, and to do so not with a sense of obligation, but out of joy and love. When we say welcome, it means we want to be people who have hearts of hospitality, who welcome people as they are and help to meet the needs of others. Unify, we want to be people who promote peace and reconciliation, who seek to bridge the many divides that we experience in our society today, and who engage with people who are different from us. 
and witness. We want to be people who are equipped and empowered to share the hope we have in Christ with those in our homes, on our streets, in our workplaces, in schools, and in the places where we go to relax and have fun. So with that in mind, in today's celebration service, we're going to be hearing a few stories from folks in our congregation. We'll be hearing about how God is helping each of them to grow within these five areas. So we'll be hearing stories related to disciple, serve, welcome, unify, and witness. And as we listen to those stories today, I encourage you to be reflecting on God's work in your own life and consider how he might be spurring you on to a deeper trust in him and a greater love for others. So if you would, would you stand with me this morning? I'd like to read a verse to call us into worship. And then we'll be singing together and hearing stories of God's work. Hear these words from Psalm 66. Shout for joy to God, all the earth. Sing the glory of his name. Make his praise glorious. Say to God, how awesome are your deeds. So great is your power that your enemies cringe before you. All the earth bows down to you. They sing praise to you. They sing the praises of your name. Come and see what God has done, his awesome deeds for mankind. Praise our God, all peoples. Let the sound of his praise be heard. So let's join together now in lifting our hearts and voices to God. Hello, everybody. Good morning. My name is Dwayne Johnson. I'm the pebble, not the rock. Let's get that straight. Uh, it's a blessing to be up here. Um, just talk a little bit about disciple. Uh, I might go off course a little bit, but I'll, I'll try to stay on track, you know. When I look back at my life, I would never imagine being up here talking about how God has always been there for me. Even when I've done bad things, you know, um, been through some bad times in my life, and I didn't believe in God. But I know now that he always had a hand of protection over me. You know, he got me this way, you know, I'll be 52, he got me this far, you know, after all the things that I've been through. Um, so that's why I like to talk about my life to others. Um, I find out that uh, I do a lot of discipling, not even knowing it. Um, and I do it in the weirdest places, like the gym. Uh, I couldn't tell you how many times I have prayed, had church, cried with some big guys at the gym. That's where God talks to me the most. That's where God shows me where there's healing. That's, that's where the Holy Spirit comes to me and says, you know, there's healing that needs to be here. And, you know, he uses me as that because I like going to the gym. That's, let's get that out of the way. Um, I'm nervous, so bear with me. And then they would ask me, you know, um, what did I do? What did I do to change my life? And how can they change their lives? And I just tell them, I says, pray. You gotta pray, you gotta pray to God, you gotta believe in God, you gotta humble yourself, you gotta get down on your knees and ask for help. 
You know, that, that's, that's just the beginning. And it's a journey. It's a journey to do this. It's scared. It's a scary thing. I was scared. I didn't know what I was getting into. I was scared to walk into this church the first time I came in here. I thought it was for good people, not people like me. But then, you know, I was reading something the other day. Uh, God was saying a sermon about Saul. You know, I kind of look at my life as Saul. But if God can use Saul, and what Saul has done, you know, persecuted Christians, killed people and stuff, but if God can find a use for Saul to spread his word, I mean, he can use anybody. You know, that's what we're called to do as disciples. Let's go out and share the love of God. You know, make changes. Show people that there's use of them. They're not hopeless. You know, me and my wife, we started a ministry. It's called 180 Ministry, and that's exactly what we do. We go to those people, those people that sometimes you, you, you drive by, the hell in those signs, we'll work for food. You know, do we judge them? Do we look at them? How many times do you go by them and says, I'm not gonna give them money, because they might go out and buy liquor, drugs, spend on something else. You know, who are we to judge them? So that's where, you know, we step in, you know. Um, I can kind of relate to those people, so it's a little bit more comforting for me. But I used to be one of those people also. But do you have you ever had opportunity to maybe just go up to them, talk to them, see why they're there, pray with them, pray for them, you know? That might just be the spark to get them out where they are and know that, you know, no matter where you are, who you are, what you've done in your life, that you can be loved by God, that you're not forgotten. I was one of those ones. He came looking for me, brought me back, you know? And that's what we're supposed to do. We're supposed to go out there and find those ones and bring them back. You know, there's a lot of lost souls out there. So next time you see somebody holding that sign, don't just walk by. Maybe just stop and talk. You'd be surprised what you can learn from them just as much as you can give to them. You know, see, I'm getting off track here. Hold on. Excuse me. <laughs> I'm going to tell you a little story real quick. I know I only got a couple minutes. A couple years back, before we started this, you know, when I was going into mom, my journey, I was looking for a mentor. And it's crazy, you know, I'm, I'm praying to God to show me a mentor. I've been to a lot of men's groups and stuff like that, but nothing was really clicking. And you know, I know it's strange, but bear with me. I got up one morning and I'm brushing my teeth, getting ready to go to work, and uh, God spoke to me and he said, this is how God speaks to me. So, cause you know, that's my boy, you know, we're, we're tight. You know, he says, hey, knucklehead. He says, your mentor's been with you this whole time. Just get rid of your ego, get rid of your pride, open up your heart, and trust me, I got you this far. I'm not, I'm not gonna let you down. And I was like, all right, gee, I, I hear you. Why do you have to call me a knucklehead? He said, D, because you, you're stubborn. You know, it's the only way I can get through to you. So, um, I was thinking about it, and, and what he was telling me is that Jules, my wife, Jules, my wife, excuse me, he says, I've been preparing, preparing, preparing her for you all this time, and you didn't see it because you're blind with ego and pride. thinking that you can't learn anything from a woman. So, three o'clock in the morning, I wake her up, 
And I said, Jules, I says, I need you to mentor me. I need you to teach me so I can have a better relationship with God, a more spiritual relationship with God, so I can go out there and I can share it, I can be prepared to share God's love. And, you know, it's only, now that I look back on my life, it's only right that it would be a woman to mentor me because it's a woman that got me here to where I am today, besides God. My mother showed me strength. Pastor Ruth showed me courage. Jules showed me how to love. So it's only right that it says that a woman mentors me. And men, don't, don't be embarrassed. You know, there's a lot we can learn. There's a lot we can learn from women. I mean, look what Jesus did. I mean, wasn't he the, a woman? It's the first one that he uh, exposed himself to. I don't mean flash, but isn't it a woman that first walked to the, the tomb? So there's value in women. They can teach us a lot. My wife has taught me a lot of things. Taught me a lot of things to pass on to other people. How to walk with God. How to show God's love. You know, that's, I guess that's what we're supposed to do. She always tells me. That's what we're supposed to do. And it's hard. You know, she had a hard job. I'm not, I wasn't an easy person to, uh, to mentor. And I argued with her with some things. But uh, of course, she's always going to win. And I respect that, though. And I love her for that. And I thank her for that. So I'm just saying, so when we allow ourselves to be humble, and when we allow ourselves to open up our hearts and share the gospel, God's love, his grace, and his mercy, because somewhere along the line, he showed us all that, how can we keep that to ourselves? How can we not share that? After all he's done for us, I know what he's done for me. How can I not share that? And I do get excited, because I am new at this. I haven't been doing this for, you know, this is kind of new to me, you know? When I was, I guess, um, delivered, it was instant. So I had no choice, really, I had no choice. That's, a, that's another story. I will walk, you know, if I ever get another chance to be up here, who knows? But anyway, <laughs> I just want to, I'm just going to close with this. I know I only got a little bit of time. Like I said, just, just be obedient. And we all got gifts. And we're all disciples. And let's not just pass it over. Let's not, you know, let's help each other out. I know what's going on in this world is crazy now. You know, separation and this and that. But, you know, that's, that's, that's flesh. That's flesh. And God's still in control. And we all, we're all tools. As some people say, living stones. You know, we just gotta find our place. Get out of our box, get out of our uncomfort zone. This is uncomfortable for me. Uh, I was just telling Brian down, I could have said no to this, but no. No, this is what God told me to do. He, you know, he knows where my weaknesses, I guess you'd just say. So, uh, I'm, I'm, I'm gonna end with this. I just wanna thank you for the time. Uh, just go out there and bless others, man. You just don't know, just by saying a prayer to somebody, how much that might change somebody's heart. You know, and uh, I don't know, know too many 
urban philosophers. I know Ice Cube, but I'm, I'm gonna leave you with this, or I know this one. He's an Irish philosopher. His name's Bono. And he said, I quote, love is bigger than anything in its way. Good morning. My name is Gail Hess, and I want to thank you, first of all, for praying for me since the beginning of the year. As I go through my uh, plan here this morning, you'll understand why. A couple of weeks ago, I was contacted by Pastor Melissa in regards to sharing with you about how God is using my gifts to serve his kingdom during this challenging season. As many of you know, I was diagnosed with breast cancer late last year, and this year has presented the many challenges of cancer treatments, but I know God will see me through these treatments. My year began with eight chemotherapy treatments ending on April 22nd, followed by a month for recuperation. Although I didn't experience the nausea associated with the chemo, fatigue is a different story. Surgery was completed in late May, followed by another month for recovery. I am currently in radiation therapy with treatments five days a week for six weeks, which will thankfully end on August 23rd. All of this has been extremely challenging, especially dealing with the fatigue created by the chemo and the radiation. I just can't seem to get enough rest, but at the same time, I have been restless. As an adult, I have always felt the need to help those less fortunate than myself, and now that I have time on my hands, I began to wonder how I could serve within the community with my health condition being what it is. Limited by my lack of energy, compounded by a compromised immune system, and the threat of COVID, I knew my options for serving would look much different than what I am used to, but God always provides a way for those seeking his help. I was able to find a scripture passage which enabled me to discern how I might begin to serve others during this challenging time. 1 Peter 4, 10 and 11 states, each of you should use whatever gift you have received to serve others as faithful stewards of God's grace in its various forms. If anyone serves, they should do so with the strength God provides that in all things God may be praised through Jesus Christ. This got me thinking about what I could do without adding additional risk to my health. In the past, I had crocheted several sleeping mats for those experiencing homelessness, which were distributed to those in need and very much appreciated. Since crocheting is an extremely physical activity, I knew this is how I could continue to serve during the season of recovery. After collecting thousands of grocery bags, and I mean thousands of grocery bags, it takes between six and 700 grocery bags to make one mat. Um, I prepared the mats and I began the process of crocheting. As the mats were completed, I had someone drop them off at Miss Julia's home so that they could be distributed to those in need, as there are so many people experiencing homelessness at this time. Although crocheting the mats is something very simple for me to do and a talent God has given me, a completed mat has a profound impact on anyone who is experiencing homelessness. It has become a win-win situation, fulfilling my need to serve and a ground cover for a person experiencing homelessness at this time. Since I am blessed with the ability to crochet, I am able to, in turn, bless others. Serving is something that I have always done, and I'm ever so thankful that God has blessed me with the ability and the strength to continue to serve him.
Good morning. Um, my name is Donna Burt, and I've I've been a part of this congregation for many years. Um, one of the efforts of our community here that has been very significant to me has been um, our refugee sponsorship. Um, we began involvement as a church way back in 1974 at the end of the Vietnam War. Um, the first family that we sponsored, the Tran family, um, still lives in the area in Mechanicsburg. Um, we have come alongside many different refugee families um, and, um, and from a variety of countries and situations from that time, since that time. Um, and Art and I want to share about two recent experiences we've had with friends who have come to our country as refugees. About three years ago, the church received a request for someone willing to drive a young mother and her son to Hershey Hospital for orthopedic treatments. I agreed to do this and have been transporting Duhay and Farhan to a variety of places for the past three years. Um, Duhay is a young Somali woman, a Muslim woman, who has who was granted entry into this country about four years ago. Um, she came from a refugee camp in Kenya. Her husband, also a Muslim, was not allowed to come with her. Um, Duhay was pregnant when she arrived, and her son Farhan was born after their arrival in the U.S. His leg was bent to the side at birth, which has required orthopedic treatments and the wearing of a brace. Um, the development of this friendship has been a very interesting journey. Duhay speaks almost no English, so I'm unable to ask her much about her situation or background. On occasion, when they are, there are details I need to know, she will call her husband in Kenya and hand her cell phone to me. The first time she did this, it was quite a surprise. Her husband speaks English well, and I was glad to have met him in this unusual way. He is so appreciative um, for the help um, that this family is receiving. Farhan is de a delightful and very active preschooler who is full of mischief. Um, Duhay and I chuckle together at his antics, and his leg has made great progress, and I hope he will soon be able to navigate without a brace. This precious family has renewed my interest in refugee resettlement and has made me acutely aware of the extreme trauma millions of displaced people in this world are having to deal with. The problem is overwhelming, but I feel God is showing me that we can do our small part by loving our neighbor. In early 2019, Grantham Church received another inquiry from West Shore Free, asking if we would be interested in partnering with another local church in forming a welcome team for a family group that would be arriving from Africa that March. The folks were Liberian and had been in a refugee situation in Guinea for many years, just waiting. 
they had finally received clearance to emigrate to the U.S. A number of individuals at Grantham became involved in this effort. It wasn't just us. And we partnered with people from Liberty Church in Camp Hill. The initial efforts involved apartment location, cleaning and furnishing, health forms, doctor visits, job searches, etc. That was only the beginning. People familiar with refugee resettlement call this the long welcome. It's not just a once and done event, it goes on and on. Um, the family included a mother, her adult son, and two adult male cousins. Two of the biggest initial surprises for us were that they spoke English and they came from a Christian background. I had to study the history of Liberia to understand how that happened. Through this process, I had the opportunity to come alongside Sylvester Gay, one of the cousins. Many of you have had the opportunity to meet and get to know Sylvester since he quickly became a part of our church family here. I should say that that very seldom happens and it should never be considered a condition when you welcome a stranger. But this time it was indeed a nice bonus for us to have him attend church with us here. My mentoring activities with Sylvester have included job search, and, and he's been a part of the Messiah Lifeways team for two years now. Job search, change of apartment, help, helping to read and understand mail. Can you, if you've never gotten mail before and have lived in a third world country, how confusing the advertising and everything, what, what is important and what isn't all that stuff. Understanding mail, banking changes, random transportational needs, medical visits, and so forth. Maybe the most significant was navigating the green card and permanent resident qualification process with the Department of Immigration. And all along the way, there have been others in our church family that have helped with some of these details. The goal in the long welcome is that as we help these new friends adjust to life here, they begin to make their own choices and make their own way. And fre frequently that means they move on. Sylvester has recently been able to reconnect with an uncle and cousins in Charlottesville, Virginia. These relatives emigrated to the U.S. almost 20 years ago and they're well established here. Sylvester has made the decision recently to join them there the end of this month. It will be a good support network for him and it will provide social interaction that he really needs. He's not here this morning, but I know Sylvester would appreciate your prayers as he takes care of details here as he settles into a new apartment and a new job in Charlottesville. I will miss him. And I know Messiah Lifeways will miss him. So keep Sylvester in your prayers as he continues on his journey. Thank you.
Good morning. My name is Susan Bailey, and this is Barbara Kleiber. And we had the opportunity this summer to experience the eight-day civil rights tour led by Dr. Allen at Messiah University and the Peace and Justice Commission, which sponsors four seats every year on this tour. You'll see a slideshow in front of us, behind us, beside us. Um, we will not be speaking to the slides, but they are places we went and people we saw, and we just thought it would be interesting, and you can always talk to us about them afterwards. We were interested in this trip because First of all, we heard Kelly Alonzo speak about her 2019 experience, which was very riveting and emotional and powerful. And then in our Sunday school class, the discipleship, um, discipleship, whatever it's called, learning community, um, we studied Jamar Tisby's book, The Color of Compromise, which talked about the history of the white church and racism, which is, a struggle to go through that book. It's, it's not pretty. We came away with many thoughts, many experiences, and free books that you get on the trip. But three of the things we'd like to share are the importance of first-person sharing, which makes this trip unique. There are many um, like pre-scripted trips you can take down south. They have them by state, they have them by area. But what's so powerful about Dr. Allen's trip is the first-person account. When you hear it from the first person, it is powerful. Like when you hear Duane's testimony from the first person, it's powerful. When you hear the first-person accounts in the Bible, they're powerful, they're life-changing. The importance of reliance on children and their role from age 11 to college age who were involved in the civil rights movement. In fact, the 11-year-old we had met, and she was arrested 13 times by the time she was 11, protesting for the civil rights movement. And again, just very powerful. And the importance of the church in that whole movement. It was their safe space. It was where they were taught nonviolence, they were taught smart planning, they were loved and welcomed. The church was so central in this movement. We were also emotionally drained by the fourth day. It's tough, but it's fabulous. Barbara. Okay. Here are a few remarkable things that I learned on the civil rights tour. As Susan said, the black churches and their pastors were the heart of the local communities and provided leadership for this cause. In their communities, in addition to church on Sundays and other days, they met basic needs of food and health care for their communities. And those churches served as the meeting place for all activities in the community. Both Martin Luther King Jr. and Diane Nash built strategies lever leveraging this strong foundation. Second, often young people comprise the majority of the marchers. And while they peacefully and nonviolently marched, they were willing to be beaten with nightsticks, chased and bitten by dogs, and subjected to the extreme force of water cannons. And they were jailed. Without hesitation, elementary and high school students volunteered to take action when they realized the adults could not. 
The adults could have lost their jobs or lost their homes if they participated in the protests. A prime example is the Birmingham Children's Crusade of 1963, when 1,000 children were jailed in two days. Third and last, the civil rights movement had allies in churches around the country and among ordinary citizens who felt called to action against racial injustice. These allies were committed to be agents of change and were willing to and did make the ultimate sacrifice of losing their lives alongside their black counterparts. In the late 50s, Ralph Jones, a white clothing store owner in Greensboro, North Carolina, was encouraging local black students to protest at establishments that refused to serve them. As a result, in 1960, four students began to hold sit-ins at the Woolworths lunch counter. These sit-ins led to policy changes which desegregated businesses in Greensboro. Another example is in the composition of the Freedom Riders, which were 50-50 black and white, according to the first-hand account by Charles Person, the youngest Freedom Rider on the first bus. The white volunteers were targeted without regard for age or sex for more savage beatings than their black riders and marchers, according to Charles. So as early as 1961, people of all ages, races, and religions were showing up and putting their lives at risk. So to summarize, it was the local churches, young people, and allies who made up of clergy and ordinary citizens were instrumental in bringing about racial justice. We as a church are beginning a journey in a new strategic plan, and I'd like to add a few thoughts around the word unify and the civil rights tour. Our trip was very clear about no one person, no one strategy, and no one way enabled us to set the success of the civil rights movement. Likewise, as we burrow down into the word unify, it will not be one person's job. It is not one strategy we'll use and is not one roadmap for us to be successful. But we can unify around being an anti-racist church and a supportive ally in the community. We have embarked on our journey uh, in a couple issues right now with Lisa Mays and Leah Clark and folks from our congregation already working with Be the Bridge initiative. And Pastor David and other Grantham brothers and sisters have gathered together to work on the thriving together with Dr. Hart, also a professor at Messiah University. It's a 12-church coalition. We can, without the trappings of a project or a coalition or a working group, can be involved singly in any organization, like the Poor Man's Campaign or the NAACP and other groups we're going to discover as we start looking and researching in our communities. We can show the God who looks like Jesus to others. We can show up, stand up, and speak up. In our everyday lives, we can be an ally for someone. Much like during the Civil Rights Movement, our church can teach us how to be an ally, how to speak up, how to be a bridge, and we can represent kingdom unity 
kingdom unity to our broken world. Grantham Church can be known as an anti-racist church, a church embodying the kingdom way of living in this broken world, a coalition church, and a safe place for everyone. The final story we're gonna be hearing this morning is along the lines of sharing our faith with others. And we wanna do that regularly with a lot of different people in a lot of different contexts, but sometimes it's easy for us to overlook sharing our faith with the people right in front of us, people we see every day, people who live with us in our homes. And so we're gonna hear from someone this morning who's thinking intentionally about what that looks like in her family. We often get to hear from our wonderful Pastor David, but we don't often get to hear from his beautiful wife, Lana. So Lana, if you would come on up. She's going to share with us a little bit this morning about what um, it has looked like for her and Pastor David to be intentional in their family with how they um, share their faith with their kids and developing kind of some regular rhythms of doing that. So thank you for sharing this morning, Lana. And first, just share with us, how old are your kids? So we have two boys. Um, our oldest is Kanan, and he's going to be nine next Friday. And our youngest is Judah. He's going to be five and starts kindergarten on Tuesday. So. Awesome. So what, is it, what has it looked like for you and your family to try to develop some regular patterns of sharing your faith with your boys? Well, so first off, I want to reiterate, this is different being here and you being there. So very different. <laughs> um, so David and I have had many discussions, and David has mentioned it several times from here, um, how we are inundated with the liturgies of the world and how the world is constantly pulling at us, pulling at our children, um, trying to teach them things. and. It's even more so noticeable in the shift that we have seen in our culture, how it has shifted away from church. And I don't know what it was like for you, but I remember as I grew up, we went to church Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday, um, anytime the, the doors were open. Um, and on the weekends, many times when I was in youth, I was at the church in youth events. So I think maybe through that time people were really depending on the church to disciple their children and as we have thought about that and seen the shift in the culture it has become even more clear and evident and we believe that it's the primary responsibility of the parents to disciple their children so as we've thought about that i'm always thinking and planning and and saying we need something practical um, in order to do that. So we have searched out some of those things, and uh, I don't know if this looks familiar to anyone, but this is the Grow at Home. I know Miss Denise gave it out to parents. This is where we started, and it's a great resource, has very practical things that you can do. So I just want to share with you our, our routines, some of the um, ways that we have developed regular patterns and liturgies with our children. Sometimes that looks like during the holidays we use the Lent calendars or the Advent calendar that Miss Denise gives us and we just discuss that before bedtime. 
Uh, as we've gone on, though, we have talked about how we really want for our kids to have the scripture hidden in their hearts. Um, as I grew up and as David grew up, hymns were a really important part of our faith journey because of the rich meaning in them, the theology that they teach. So we want those, those words to be hidden in their hearts as well. So at night, before we go to bed, and this is quite a routine, I'm not saying this, this may not be right for everyone, but it has worked for us. We, we read books at night, any book that they choose. So maybe not, you know, a biblical story, but any books that they choose. And then right after that, right before they're going to sleep, we choose a scripture each week that we work on. Um, and if they don't get it in one week, then we work on it the next week. Here recently, we did Psalms 23, and that was for a whole month long. That took us all month to get through that. So after the scripture reading, we pick a hymn each week, or maybe even a chorus. Uh, mostly hymns, but some choruses that we feel like would be something that someday in their life, when something is going on and they need it, it's here. And those are the things that they're hearing in their mind rather than the liturgies and the things of the world, because those are the things that they're going to need to make it in this life. So scripture, then hymns, then a hymn, and then we either recite the Lord's Prayer or like a now I lay me down to sleep, those types of things. So we say those prayers together. After that, we do individual prayers. And something that I've really thought about is want to model for my children when I pray. So I pray, first off, thanking God for who he is and all of his goodness and naming specifics of how good he is. After that, then I pray for thanking God for the things that we do in the day. So just simple things like, God, thank you that we got to go swim at the Hudson's today. And thank you for the Hudson's. They are such great people. You know, so we say specifics like that. And then teaching them supplication, asking God for the things that we need because he is our loving father and he provides those things for us. And after that, then we, we talk about different people in the church who need prayer, and we pray for individuals in the church. And most recently, it was Miss Kathy, and we've had that conversation with Canaan, and, and in his prayer, he's praying for Kathy's family right now to be comforted. So that's our routine. It doesn't always look like that. That was mainly through the school year. Right now, it's a little bit more simple. And um, we've been doing this little book, it's called Bedtime Prayers, and it talks about God being the shepherd. And so our simple routine right now is I read, and, and it talks about the attributes of the shepherd. For example, this page that I just opened up is The Shepherd Teaches, and it gives a scripture, there's a poem about it, and then there's a one-line prayer, Dear God, thank you for teaching me what is true and good, and we just say that together. And um, so, yeah, so those are just some things that we do. Maybe that could give you some ideas as well. I also, 
You know, my boys are starting school on Tuesday, so I have mixed emotions about that. <laughs> Some days I'm really ready. <laughs> and other days, it makes me sad that we're entering into this new phase where both my boys will be in school. But something that I talked to my nephews and uh, niece-in-laws about in Texas when we were there, they have implemented something to start the day off for their children. And one example, my one niece-in-law does this with her kids every morning before they go to school. If you think about it, it makes sense because in school, what do they do? They, they have a moment of silence. I don't know if they still do that, actually. Um, moment of silence, you say the pledge every morning before you start. So those are some liturgies of the world, right? So this particular thing that she does every day with um, her kids it says, I am brave, I am strong, I am smart, I am kind. I am loved, I am a child of God. I will show others respect, I will follow instruction. I will show Jesus through my actions. I will try my best the first time, every time. Today is going to be a good day. Today is going to be a great day. And they say that every morning before they go to school. So we're thinking about coming up with our own to implement this year. Yeah, that's really neat just to get a little picture of what some of that looks like for you. And obviously, different families, it might look different, but the idea being that kind of intentional, um, regular practice of just making it more normal to talk about Jesus and to, to share our faith together. Um, how have you seen in the last year or so, have you seen the faith of your kids growing more? So that's the exciting part, right? And such a blessing to watch. Um, so I've noticed that our boys talk more about God with us and with each other. It has become more uh, normal in our conversations over the past couple of years, mainly because they're older, but also because we've implemented some of these things. So sometimes I'll go outside and maybe it's raining and I'm like, ugh, I do not like the rain. This weather is yucky. And my children quickly remind me that God created the rain to water the earth. You know, so things like that. <laughs> and I'm like, okay, now I feel about this small. Um, other things, Canaan, uh, we noticed the other night we had a conversation before bed while we were doing this liturgy. He had some questions, so he interjected those. And um, I, I think it was actually Judah who asked, what does it mean to ask Jesus in your heart? And so Canaan was able to articulate that to him. He said, that means that you become a Christian that you follow after God. And so he was able to share that. Um, that. That same night, they were also asking questions about how God speaks to us. So we were able to talk to them about that. Sometimes while watching TV, we'll say things like, oh, that, you know, in some of the kids' shows, if you've noticed, there's um, sometimes the kids are not very nice to each other and stuff. So we're able to say, oh, that, that wasn't very nice, was it? You know, God reminds us to, to treat others the way we want to be treated. So we make that a part of normal conversation. And then lastly, I would like to share this year, so thankful that we had in-person VBS because Canaan loved it, and so did Judah, but Canaan actually got to really be a part of it. He was more engaged this year than I've seen him be in the past. And he was able to tell us all the daily points. And so I, and he loved the music and did the motions, which he had not done in the past. Before, he was just kind of spinning around in circles, laying in his pew, you know, all those kinds of things. And 
Um, and so he was doing the motions, and so I asked for a CD, so Miss Denise gave me a CD of the music. We were in the car, and he was singing and doing the motions to the VBS music, and Judah was looking at him like he was really weird. And, and Canaan looked at him and said, Judah, it's worship. And, and, so, and so very quickly after that, Judah started doing it with him. So yeah, so those are some things. And um, Canaan's heart for the homeless, of course, anytime we stop and give money to someone, he says no one should have to be without a home. And usually he'll include that in his prayer that night. So yeah. That's really neat. Um, so what might you say to some of us who might be kind of thinking, well, yeah, you know, this is the pastor's family, so it's got to be at least a little bit easier for you guys, right? <laughs> well, I would first say this can work for anyone, and we're just regular people just like you, and our kids are regular kids, and as much as I wish they all came with a manual, they don't. Um, but... At bedtime, it's not always perfect. You know, it may sound like the fairy tale. I, I had all these dreams growing up of what it would be like at the dinner table if we all sat around and, you know, we're all like, how was your day? Oh, it went like this. Mm -mm. Not always. Also, at bedtime, you know, we're not all bent on our knees with our hands folded properly and our eyes closed and we're all attentive. You know, there we still have those times of he's looking at me, he's poking me, you know, or they're hiding under the covers and we're like, okay, boys, it's time. You know, so I think the key really is just to be intentional. This can work for anyone and pick what works for you and your family. Just be intentional and persistent. Um, don't give up because the liturgies of the world are not giving up and we have to be more persistent than that. And we have found through our persistence that the boys come to expect this routine and most of the time are, are more cooperative. The other thing I'd like to say, and I know I struggle with this, always worried that I'm not going to do it perfectly, I'm not going to give the perfect answers, and I felt God speak to me in the last couple of years of, you just do what I've called you to do, do the best you can, and I'll fill in the gaps. So we're trusting him to do that. Yeah, thank you so much for sharing, Lana. It's an encouragement for us, especially those who have kids or grandkids that you get to see regularly and, and trying to be intentional about sharing our faith. Some of you might uh, not have that same kind of family situation, living by yourself, but this is also just a reminder for us to, to try to be developing those regular rhythms of what does it look like to kind of be um, spending that time with God, maybe walking alongside others, inviting others into our life to help us uh, keep that kind of center regularly and um, just become more normal in how we talk about our faith and what that looks like in our lives. So thanks so much for sharing. Thank you.